Amen. If I catch anybody complaining, I'm going to smack you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Rejoice. Hey, who, listen, in this city, it could snow tomorrow. <laughs> Today, we could have all the seasons in the same day. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Praise the Lord. Listen, listen, we are, we're just glad to be back home. I don't know where I was last week. Uh, oh, New York. And so um, we went there for a men's conference and glad to be back home. Um, this has been a great uh, season for us. Uh, we've had a number of people to graduate, and we're going to uh, recognize these folks at some point. But if you graduated from anything, completed anything, raise your hand so we could just recognize. That's right, Sister Kim finished with her master's. Elder Cox uh, finished degree number 15. <laughs> she got a law degree. Amen. And so we're excited about that. And we have a number of other, uh, other folks that uh, have, have completed their matriculation in whatever school they did. Rayma had its graduation the other day. And um, we had a number of our members there that, um, that graduated. And also, uh, Dr. Lee Buddy. Dr. Buddy, raise your hand. He's one of our members. We, ha we haven't gotten his membership yet. <coughs> hint, hint. But it's on the way. Amen. But Dr. Buddy is the principal of uh, Wade Park Elementary School. And they had their graduation the other week. And I'm a, I wanted to just say, um, you can tell when an Adventist is running a school. I mean, the Holy Ghost was all up in that public school graduation service. <laughs> I said, man, this is an Adventist graduation, amen? <laughs> so we just praise the Lord for that. I'm excited to get into the Word today. Today is the last sermon in our series, Good Genes. It's the last sermon in our series, Good Genes. Uh, put, put on the screen there these initial points. What we've been simply trying to lay out to you is three traits, three traits, three traits of a healthy Christian, three traits of a healthy Christian. However, there is a number four that I want to add today that is not necessarily a trait, but it ought, to be, it ought to be automatic, it ought to be default, but it really is the fruit of these three traits. It's the fruit of these three traits. So essentially, there are three traits that you look in Scripture, look in Scripture. If you're a serious Bible student and you look at the life of Christ, you'll say, man, these are three crucial characteristics. Everything falls under these three things as it relates to what makes you a healthy Christian, all right? And so the first three that we looked at was the first one is what, everybody? Worship. In other words, we simply pointed out that worship is not an event. Worship is not something that you go and do. What you go and do is simply an expression of worship. Did you hear what I just said? In other words, and I told you, some of y'all looked at me like in my face and were like, what is he talking about? I said, singing is not worship. Singing is an expression of worship. Since Jesus died on the cross, was buried and resurrected, and now sends the Holy Spirit into our hearts, he says he's seeking for true worshipers, watch this, and they worship him in spirit and in truth. So that worship is not something I go and do. Worship is a state. It is, it is the existence of my heart. Is Christ enthroned on my heart? Now, if that's the case, then you will not find me compartmentalizing my worship experience. Some of us go in worship. Too bad for you. I shop in worship. When I'm in the kitchen talking to my wife, I'm worshiping. You see, listen, when you have that mindset, you don't ever step out of the presence of God. 
the presence of God as a reality that I accept by faith on the throne of my heart. And if it is not Christ on the throne of my heart, it is either myself or Satan, and they are the same. So what we are trying to get you to see is, it's not only do we just go to church and worship. No, 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 no. What Jesus says is we worship in spirit and in truth. Our worship never ends. When I'm watching TV, I'm worshiping. <laughs> when I'm listening to the radio, I'm worshiping. It's quiet. Amen lights. <laughs> Amen walls. Do you see? Is he not worthy of the glory? The Bible says, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 and 31, it says, listen, what, whatever you do, whatsoever you eat, whatsoever you drink, and then he just said, whatever you do, do it all. How much, everybody? All. Do it all to the glory of God. A healthy Christian doesn't just go and worship. A healthy Christian doesn't just go to church and get spiritual and get holy when he gets in a building. A healthy Christian realizes that the presence of God is someplace in his heart and it goes wherever they are. Would you say amen? amen. Number two, we realize that a healthy Christian, because of that, is engaged in loving relationships. They reach up to God and then they reach in to others. And Pastor Yolorda preached a powerful sermon simply suggesting to us that many of us operate not on agape love, but erotic love. Now, erotic love is not all sexual like many of us assume, but the word eros simply means love expecting something in return. In other words, we love folk if they're nice. We love folk if they do things for us. We love folk if they're kind to us. We love folk if we like the way they look. We love folk if we like the way they talk. No, biblical love says, I love you regardless. And so, when, but here's the thing, when you worship God and you enter into the beauty of his holiness and you see how holy he is and you see how worthy you are, it ought, to, it ought to do something in your heart that makes you say, man, if he loves me this much, the Bible says, we love others because we love him. So it must start with worship. And then if you are really a worshiper, then you will love people. Amen? Then number, then number three, uh, your love for people will, will move out in seeking to serve and be a blessing to others. You don't just love with your mouth. Come on, say amen. But you love with service. Your hands and your feet, they all belong to God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say amen. And then number four I want to talk today is that this entails an attitude of reaching back, a reaching back attitude of discipleship. This is a fruit of the three. All right. Uh, our text this morning is Malachi chapter 4, and it'll be on the screen for you. Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 5 and 6. What book did I say, everybody? Malachi chapter 4. It's getting hot in here. Man, it's, it's cold in here in the winter, and it's hot in the... Or is, it just, is it just me? Am I overheating already? Am I the only one? Are y'all hot? Okay, all right. No, all right, it's just me. All right, anyway, uh, Malachi chapter 4. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? All right, let's get to it. The Bible says, uh, it says, I see, oh, let me make my, my, my stuff a little larger here so I can see. It says, see, I will send the prophet, what's his name, everybody? Elijah. What's his name, everybody? Elijah. Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Very critical. I'm going to send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. The great and dreadful day of the Lord is the second return of Jesus Christ. This is a dual prophecy that we're going to explain momentarily. Verse 6. And not, watch this. It says in verse 6, it says, and he will do what, everybody? 
Turn the what? Turn the what? Oh, this is critical. Turn the what, everybody? The hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. And watch this. Here's the conditional. Here's a conditional prophecy. A conditional prophecy means that if we follow God's word, blessings will come. If we don't follow, here's the result. All right. Here's the conditionality of it. It says, it says, or else I will. That reminds me of my mother. <laughs> or else. Or else I will come and do what, y'all? And strike the land with what kind of destruction? With total destruction. Let's pray right now. Father in heaven, we pray in the name of Jesus for divine insight into the word of God. We're praying that you will open up our hearts to receive whatever it is God has to say. I pray that you will bless me to bless your people right now. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. The title of our message today is Elijah 3.0. Let me just break this down. Don't have a lot of time to get into this today, but many of you are familiar with this. If you have grown up in an Adventist church, and we're not trying to exclude anybody else, but those of you who grew up in Adventist church know anything about Adventist theology and Adventist eschatology, which is just a big word to say, the end times. Adventists, we are big on prophecy. Would you say amen? We're not just big on prophecy. The Bible is big on prophecy. Prophecy is essentially history being fulfilled. In other words, God says stuff's going to happen before it happens, and it happens. And we've got enough information in the word of God that shows us there are some things happening, essentially so that we can get ready for what's to take place. The most, ma- the most, the most important and significant event that is going to happen is what? Somebody talk to me. What's, it's the second coming of Jesus Christ. All prophecy, all prophecy has its fulfillment in that, essentially. The bottom line is that Jesus wants to come back and fix all this. The only way it's all going to be fixed is if he comes back. Amen? Like there's some work we can do down here to make the world a better place. But at the end of the day, our efforts will be futile. The bottom line is the solution to every problem in life is when Jesus Christ comes back. Do you still believe that? Come on, Seventh-day Adventist folk. Do you still believe that? Folks who believe in the end time, believe in the last days. And we put a lot of stock in it. A lot of our theology and a lot of our Bible studies, a lot of uh, our events are focused on the soon return of Jesus as it should be. However, let me say this. In preparation for the soon return of Jesus Christ, there are some other prophecies in the Bible that help us to prepare for the soon return of Jesus Christ. I'm going to repeat myself so you don't miss exactly what I just said. In order to get ready for the soon return of Jesus Christ, there are some other prophecies that need to be fulfilled that prepare us for the soon return of Jesus Christ. Am I talking too fast? Are Are you listening to me? And so many of us, we get dead set. We just try, we just sitting, waiting to get ready for Jesus to come. You know, we get our house in order. You know, we say, we, we, we stop piling food and water. And, uh, and, and we're memorizing scriptures and we're doing all this stuff. And, and we're reviewing the prophecies. And all those things are good because we're waiting on the coming of Jesus. But it's possible that while you're waiting on the most important prophecy, you might miss some of the preparatory prophecies that get ready, get you ready for the prophecy. Are you hearing me now? And there is a prophecy, there is such a prophecy that we just looked at that I think has been marginalized. We used to talk about the Elijah message. 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 But I'm noticing over time, we're not spent much time talking about the Elijah message. I'm telling you now that the Elijah message is the most critical message that we can receive before the soon return of Jesus Christ. It is, for me, the most relevant prophecy. It's more relevant than the Pope. I'm going to show you in a minute. It's more relevant than Sunday blue law. All that stuff is inconsequential if you do not walk under the prophecy of Elijah. Inconsequential. You can do everything you want to get ready for that time. Read every book you want. Memorize every prophecy. 
Read every uh, a canonical tradition from the Catholic Church. That ain't going to prepare you for what's to come if you don't pass over this prophecy first. And the prophecy is listed very clearly and carefully at the end of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi. And the prophecy is essentially what we just read. It is this, that the Lord in the last days is going to send Elijah. And that when Elijah comes, that his ministry is going to be so powerful that it creates a revival in grown folks. And then when that revival happens in grown folks, then the young folks are going to react to what God does in the grown folks. That's the prophecy. That's what we just read. Can we read it one more time? Go ahead. Back it up. Back it up to that text. I want them to know that I'm not making this up. I want them to know that this is not pastor trying to be new and cool. I want you to see that we're talking about a scripture here that is a prophecy. See what the Bible says. Read with me, y'all. See, I will send you to what? And uh, to you before that what? And dreadful day of the Lord what? Verse 6. And then the Bible says he will do what? He will do what? Turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. The Bible says, in, uh, it continues, says, or else I'll come. In other words, he's like, if you don't, grown folks, uh, get your, I hate to say get yourself together because you can't do that. But if you don't receive this message, that it literally could hold back a whole generation. Am I reading it right? Help me out now. He says he's going, who do he say he's going to turn the hearts of first? He said he's going to turn the hearts of parents. This is really just symbolic. It's, 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 it's a broad term to talk about adults, grown folks. All of us are responsible to some degree for those that come behind us. We are. We are responsible whether they're your children or not. We are responsible. We're responsible. That's why I do after school program at Wade Park. Those are not my kids, but they are my kids. I said to myself, I am not going to complain about another young person until I obey the prophecy of Malachi 4. The Bible does not say the young folks' hearts are going to turn and then the old folks' hearts will. The Bible says that the parents' hearts are going to be turned. And then it says that when their hearts are turned, then automatically, oh, I love that word, automatically there's going to be a turning of a whole generation. I'm talking about a generation that, that tattoos everything. I'm talking about a generation that pierces everything. I'm talking about a generation that cusses at everything. I'm talking about a generation addicted to everything. I'm talking about a generation that listens to music that is possessed of demonic lyrics. That generation. I'm talking about your children. I'm talking about your grandchildren. And I'm not just talking about kids. I'm talking about everybody younger than you. That is the generation that God wants to save. We are currently living, Lord, I'm so disturbed by this word. Today. We are currently living in the most godless generation ever. And that godless generation was produced from the most religious generation. Come on, somebody. How does that happen? How does the most godless generation come out of nowhere? It's not just prophecy. There's a reason why they're godless. Because godlessness is the fruit of religiousness. And there's a difference from being religious and having a relationship with God. Let me just, let me just cut, let me, let me just uh, uh, keep it real for you. See, uh, and, and listen, and please don't, I don't want you to receive condemnation. I just want to explain reality. Don't receive, please y'all, don't, don't feel guilt on this. 
Don't receive guilt on this. I just want to explain to you the picture. See, what happened for many of us is, see, there are two things that happened. See, many of us were very, very, very religious, which made us very, very, very legalistic. Legalism produces liberalism. See, the more you try to control a person, the more a person wants to break free and do whatever they want. Now, there are some of you in here who did that. You grew up under strong restriction. Now, it was meant in love. Let's not, let, please hear me on. It was meant in love because we wanted to protect you from making decisions that we had made. Okay, let me testify real quick. Y'all know I'm, I try to be as transparent as possible. Just yesterday, okay, lately my son and I have been bumping heads. He's 11, been bumping heads. I'm just going to tell you, he's 11, he's been bumping heads. Um, so so and let me tell you essentially what it was. I was, I, was, I was feeling some type of way because my son goes to my, my wife for all his real needs. No, I mean, it, it, was hurt, it started to hurt after a while. Because seriously, I pride myself on being a good father. Honestly, saints, I'm not out at night running the streets and, and visiting everybody. You know why? Because I have a family and I need to be at home. I made up my mind a long time ago that after 4 and 5 o'clock, if it ain't prayer meeting and it's not an emergency, that I have children that I cannot neglect. I'm a pastor's kid. I've seen it done. I'm saying it's not going to happen to me. But in, in this case, although I'm present, there are, there, there's a, some blind spots I have in relating to my children. So listen, I'm just going to be totally honest. I don't want my son to be a punk. I don't know other way to I'm just be honest. I do, I'm, listen, as a man, you sisters will not understand what I'm saying. Listen, brothers, I do not want my son to be a punk. Now, when I'm talking, I'm not talking about, when I'm talking about sexuality, I'm just talking about being namby-pamby, weak, and lazy. Uh, listen to me. I despise a lazy man. I, I, that's not right. I, I should not despise anybody, but I'm just, I'm just being, can I be honest with you? I was raised by a man's man. And when I was a child, my father was tough on me. My father made me get up in the summer at 5 a.m. in the morning, clean the garage, mow lawns. Uh, 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 I was a paper boy. I had to do paper routes. I mean, I stripped. I worked. I worked. I could not not be a worker. I, can't, I hate laziness. And the reason why is because this was passed on to me by my father. My father did the same thing to me. And so in my mind, this is what you do to make a man. But it ain't been working. It's not been working. It's not been working. And my son said something the, uh, just this week. He said, he said to my wife, because my wife was saying, your dad loves you, he's, you know, he, blah, 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 he's, he, he's for you, man, blah, blah, blah. When I'm playing basketball with the boy, I get impatient. I'm serious. When I'm playing basketball with him, I can't enjoy it. Because I'm looking at things he's doing, and I'm saying, that's wrong. Fix this. I know what I'm talking about. I, your, your daddy did have some game back in the day. Now, now, now listen to me. And, and we just get to arguing, and... Uh, and, and, and then he gets mad and he quits and, and then I'm mad and then he said to my, he said to my wife, he said to my wife, he said, he said this, he said, he said, uh, why is daddy always angry at me? Now, some of y'all, that don't even bother you, you go on about your business. I try to hear that stuff. I hear, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost says, uh, take note, take note on that right there. Hear what he just said. I, I, I then called my uncle. And I asked him, saying, he has a son. I asked him, this is what he said to me. Blew my mind. Rocked my world yesterday. This is what he said to me. I said, what do you think about that? I said, uh, do you think I'm being too hard? He said, I'm going to tell you right now. He said, stop trying to make him a man. 
He says, you don't need to try to make him what you are. Your example is good enough. He said, listen, he said, what you need to do is go the other extreme and love him and nurture him because relationship is more important than your role. He says, you're too busy trying to create you. And instead of trying to create you, love that boy. Love him. Nurture him. Keep kissing him. Keep hugging on him. Stop telling him to get up when he falls down and scratches his knee and telling him to shake it off. He said, that's why he goes to your mama, goes to your wife instead of going to you when he's got a problem. And what eventually will happen, Myron, he's telling me, he says, and when real problems come, when girl problems come, when life problems come, when spiritual problems come, he's not going to go to you because you're too angry all the time. The Lord said to me, he said, my heart needed to be turned. My heart needed to be turned to release my son from a spirit of perfectionism. What I'm essentially telling him is that no matter what you do, you'll never reach my standard. No matter what you'll do, you'll never become what I want you to become. Until you become just like me. But God didn't tell us to recreate children in our image. God told us to make them after his likeness. Relation, hear me now. Relationship is more important than rules. Relationship is more important than religion. So I'm telling you now, I'm not saying this to shame you. Many of y'all think I'm young, that's why I'm saying it. Well, let me just tell you, youthfulness is so relative. Now, I'm young to many of you, but to all these kids that are behind me, they think I'm old. And they think you're really old. You know, so I'm serious. I mean, every time you get to an age, you're always old to somebody. I'm 40 years old, and the kids are like, whoa. And you're like, child, please. Like, Right? But listen, are you getting what I'm saying? And so notice now, in the, in the prophecy, the prophecy talks about a, a, a revival that happens generationally that sets free another generation. Now, let me tell you why this is so critical. Because we are living in a day and age, and I told you it's godless. We are living in the most, um, what's the word, secular generation of all time. So please understand it. Whitley Phipps said it, and I want to repeat it. How do you lead somebody to Jesus in this generation who has no reverence for Scripture? Now, your pastor is not just trying to do all this stuff to be cool and new and different. This is not change for change's sake. The 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s are behind us. The the people that we're, listen, I'm talking about black folk. Black folk are not Christian no more. I just saw a statistic the other day said 50% of residents in Cleveland, Ohio, consider themselves non-religious, non-church going. Cleveland is 60% black. So we're not talking, we, when we talk about secularism, we talk about white folks. White folks don't go to church. No, 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 no. Do you know what the number one uh, belief system is in Cleveland, Ohio? It's not Christianity. It's Catholicism. Where y'all been? 
Catholics are the number one, not Jews, the number one belief system in Cleveland are Catholics. You know what percentage Protestants are in Cleveland, Ohio, Northeast Ohio? 8%. You didn't hear what I just said. Listen, we're assuming that all these people out there are Sunday worshipers. We're sending all these people, folks, folks, go to church on Sunday. Tomorrow, when you get a chance, I want you to just drive around Cleveland, go to the grocery store. Folks ain't coming in there dressed up. Listen, people are not going, this ain't the Bible Belt. This is totally different. Trust me. It's totally different. People in Northeast Ohio, their idea of consistently going to church is attending once a month. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Are y'all hearing me? So I'm saying we have a whole generation of people, and I'm not, don't just think young people, think everybody who ain't here, who left, who walked away, who rejected the faith of their fathers. Why? What creates godlessness is religiousness. Talking about church and talking about, talking about what we're going to do and talking about the last days. But you yourself have not really had a heart change that makes you a kind person. Yes, sir. That makes you a loving person. Yes. That makes you a compassionate person yes. with your own family. If you want to know who you are for real, don't ask your co-workers. Don't ask church folk. Ask your children. Ask your husband. Ask your brothers and sisters that don't go to church. Ask them what they think about you. We live in an illusion. And we think that this is reality. This is not reality. That's why the prophecy says that in order for us to be ready for the soon return of Jesus, that there's got to be a turning of the hearts. It does not say a turning of our dress. It does not say a turning of our theology. It does not say a turning of doctrine. It says a turning of hearts. The Bible is specific. It says that hearts need to be changed. My heart needs to be changed. Y'all not praying with me this morning. I need a changed heart. I need my mind renewed. I don't need more religion, more do's and don'ts. I need to learn how to love folk when they're not loving to me. I need to learn how to trust God when I can't see God. That's the stuff that gets people attention and says, these folks have been with Jesus. How is the world going to know that we are his disciples? The Bible says, by this will all men know that you're my disciples. Not if you keep the Sabbath. If you're a racist, what good is it if you keep Sabbath? If you still hate white people, you are not converted. If you know what foods are clean and unclean, yet at home your mouth is nasty concerning others and your children hurt it their whole lives. They call us fake. Number one reason why people don't go to church is because they think we're hypocrites. And we are. We are more religious than we are loving. (laughs) 
So let me, let me show you what has to happen for hearts to be turned. And then we're going to get on out of your way. Oh, Lord. Let, 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 me, let me show you something first. Before we go to 1 Kings 19, I want to show you a statistic real quick. Go, go to the next slide for me. Next slide. Check this out. Now I'm going to tell you what my personal, as I have studied the scriptures, writings of the spirit of prophecy, which I'm going to show you, you know I'm going to make my case. Our church needs to focus on these babies. Why? Because that's what prophecy says we're to do. Number two, because if you want to change the world, change children. Because they don't stay children. It's amazing. We're like, we're not even thinking about what's going on in children's Sabbath school or, or children's church. We just hear stuff and, you know, we complain here and there, oh, blah, 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 blah. But are we really concerned about children? And then what happens is, is when they rob you, or when they stop coming, or when, they, you, have to, when you have to dip into your 401k to, to, to post bail and bond for them. I'm talking about real life stuff. Or, have you noticed, this has got to be concerning to us. How is it that you are so Adventist, and so committed, and so here, and so at Sabbath school, and so at church, but your kids have rejected your faith? How? I'm burdened about, I'm concerned about that. How? I said if kids were money, we would be raising all kind of hell. Because we're losing money. But we're, listen, we are, and some people think we're just losing the millennials. No, we lost millennials, we lost Generation X, and we lost baby boomers. There are people in this church that left and came back. Now, here's what happens. When you left, your children were children. They were children. And so while you were disaffected with the church, your children grew up in that. And so let's not be shocked as to why they're not here. I'm talking about there's a different brand It, look, I'm old school Adventist. That's the way I was raised. Listen, man, uh, don't forget the Sabbath, the day our God has blessed, of all the weeks the brightest, of all the weeks the best. That's what I was reared on. I'm more Adventist than most of y'all in here. I'm fourth generation. Fourth. Fourth. My parents worked for the denomination. My mom worked in the GC. I got pedigree. But what I'm having to realize is the things that are important to me are not important to another generation. Why? Because they didn't grow up in the culture that I grew up in. Sabbath? They don't know what that is. When I grew up, you didn't go to prom. Prom? Is there dancing there? And is it on Friday? No, you ain't going. I, well, listen, when I grew up, when I grew up, when I grew up, there was no, it wasn't like, should I play sports or should I not? You didn't play sports. Because you knew there was going to be a compromise. That, come on, I don't, listen, where, maybe y'all didn't grow up. Anybody know what I'm talking about in here? There was no, there was none of this. I mean, like, for real. And I'm not, listen, because y'all know where I'm coming from. I'm not saying this in condemnation, but I'm saying we're in a generation now where parents in our church, they have children that are athletically skilled and they'll let them do it. You know why? Because they don't see it the way you see it. You can say it's right or wrong or whatever. 
but you're not going to reach them by saying you need to go old school. So you got all these people that got different versions of Adventism. What's the solution? The solution is you got to have your heart turned. That's the only thing that's going to happen. Changing, turning of hearts, not preaching sermons that say do this, do that, do this. That's why they left in the first place. And that generation ain't coming back for do this, do that because they don't even think what you're saying do this or do that too is right or wrong because they don't even know what John 3.16 is. So our approach to reach the world cannot even be with the Bible. How do you, how do you, you, how do you preach the Bible to somebody who doesn't believe in it? You know what you do? You live the Bible. I personally believe, I'm not saying, this is just my personal conviction, that because of that, a track attack ministry is not a relevant ministry in a culture of people who are not asking what day is the, seventh, is the Sabbath. This generation is not asking those questions because they don't even go, they're not Christian, they don't even go to church. They care less Sunday, Saturday, they ain't, they ain't asking that. They're asking, who's going to help me with these children? Who's going to help me with this father who's in prison? Who's going to help me with my ailing mother who's dying of AIDS? Who's going to help me? Who's going to help me put food on the table? Who's going to give me employment in this, in this generation and culture where rich people have manipulated the system and caused whole populations to go broke and hungry and imprisoned? Who's going to help out with that? Are you going to come and tell me about the seven-day Sabbath? Or are you going to show me the power of what rest in one day of my life can do for a stressed-out person that doesn't know where their money is coming from, doesn't know where food is coming from, doesn't know if daddy is coming home? This is not new, hip, cool, young preaching. This is spirit of prophecy. This is the word of God. I want you to show you something here. Let's go. Watch what happens. Now, it calls it the Elijah message, right? But I want to show you what your girl says about the importance of reaching this generation. She says, too much importance cannot be placed upon the early training of children. Too much importance. Let me say that in uh, the, like the realest way possible. Anybody that tells you you're spending too, too much time reaching children and young people, Tell them to shut up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Too much importance cannot be placed on that. Listen, many of you right now are sick in your body because of stress that you have because of children in your life. So listen, children affect us all. Uh, <laughs> Watch this. It says the lesson learned the lessons learned, the habits formed during the years of infancy and childhood have more. Now, watch this. Listen, saints of God, I'm fourth generation. I'm through and through. I believe in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. There's some folks that don't believe in that. I believe in the spirit of prophecy. And listen, I'm going to run this ministry on the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. The Bible and the spirit of prophecy is going to be guiding this ministry. And I want you to see what she says here. It's something got to do with eggs on the table and whether we should eat meat or not. This is how we strategize to reach people, Sister Vaughn. What is she, she said, infancy and childhood have more to do with the formation of character 
and the direction of the life than have all the instruction and training of the years of, of after years. Can I tell you what she's saying? She's saying what you do with a child is going to determine their destiny. Not what you do with an adult. Go back to the statistics. Go back. Go back. Go back. Mm -hmm. Back. One more time. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Now, I'm sorry. One more time. Click. Yes. So here's, here's statistics. We just read from Spirit of Prophecy. Pen of Inspiration just told us, you better get them kids while they're young. That's going to determine how they respond to Jesus later in life. Amen. Amen? Now watch this. Between the ages of 5 and 13, you are 32% more likely to accept Jesus in your heart. Between the ages of 14 and 18, 4% likely. Between the ages of 19 and death, 6%. Let me ask you a question. The majority of our evangelism, the majority of our ministry is spent on reaching adults. And you're basically saying, we're going to try to, we're going to do a 6% ministry. It ain't working. So what is she saying do? And, I'm, and here's the here's logic. If you reach children, you reach the parents. If you reach children. <laughs> but, but, but let's go back to the prophecy. Because it almost sounds like a contradiction. If you reach children, you reach the parents. I thought the prophecy said that if the hearts of the, the, hearts of the fathers are turned, then the hearts of the children will turn. Right? You see the tension there? So who is the Bible talking about when it says the hearts of the father? It ain't talking about the world. It's talking about the church. It's talking about grown folks in the church experiencing radical conversion so deep that their wild kids believe there's a God. <laughs> hey, listen, talk to I'm telling you, them, these, these crazy young folk who are Snapchatting and po they on social media. Some of you are like, if you're not even in the social media game, I don't even know how you're going to be able to deal with these kids. They live in the realm of the virtual. But hear me, if we change, it'll be so believable because it's 6% likely that we change. If we change, they're going to say, good God Almighty, look at my mama. There is a God in heaven. See, some of you think, but some of you think that being in church is the change that they're looking for. They're not looking for church attendance change. They're looking for relationship change. They're looking for a non-hypocritical change. They're looking for an inner life change. They're looking for a not a church attendance change, a not how they roll when they're at church and they got their Sabbath school lesson out, but how they talk to people, how they deal with folk, how they love people. It is exclusively love that will wake up the world to the reality that God is real. Why am I saying this? Because we're now at a stage. Anybody work in the marketplace? I'm saying you work outside, outside of the church, other than me. Anybody works outside of church? Am I telling the truth? People are not, they're not church going. They have different beliefs. Some of them have no beliefs. What's going to get their attention is not saying, can you come and worship with me on Saturday? I don't worship. I believe in evolution. I'm cool with transgender bathrooms. I support LGBT. I might even vote for Donald Trump. That's who we're dealing with. Believe it. Now, if you, all those things are hang-ups for you where you're so offended and you can't really deal with folk, then guess what? Then you have eliminated yourself out of the game to reach these people. But when they see the love of Christ, 
I, when they see the love of Christ, I'm talking about expectation dashing love of Christ. When you go out of your way to bless people, when you go out of your way to love on people, when you go out of your way not to preach to people, but to bless people, to love folk, to love their children and the things that they are concerned about, then they will say, there is a God. I'll preach the next part in the second service. In the second service, I'm going to show you what happened in the life of Elijah that even made this a prophecy in the first place. This has not been taken out of a vacuum. Watch this. The Bible says he's sending Elijah because Elijah went through some things that prepared the way for Elisha. And Elisha had double anointing. In other words, Elisha, see, he, he, he performed double the amount of miracles that his mentor Elijah did. I'm not hearing me now. But before Elisha could have double anointing, Elijah had to be broken. I'll talk about that in the next service. I want to read one more. I want to read one more statement. Go on down to the end of the presentation, around slide 27. Just exit out and just click on uh, slide 27. I want to share this very, this last thing with you. The conversation has to change. All right? Uh, the conversation has to change. Now, before y'all read that, uh, is there any way we can black the screen out? Like, or just minimize it so they can't see that. I don't want them reading that just yet. I need to set that up. Um, the conversation has to change. What did I just say, everybody? Conversation has to change. The conversation has to change from the religious rhetoric of do this, do that. If you don't, you're going to hell. It's got to change from that to I love you so much. I love you so much. I'm there for you. Jesus will always love you. As a matter of fact, Jesus loves you just as much as he loves the Father. You are loved in your worst condition. You are loved, drunk, high, nasty, gay, transgender. You're loved. Get it in your spirit. Get that in your core. Think of the worst human being on the planet, a murderer, a, a pedophile. Get it in your spirit that they are loved by Jesus Christ just as much as you are loved. That's the conversation. The conversation now is there are folk out there who've been bought with a price and they don't know it. And I got to tell them that they're loved. They got to know they have value. In preparation for my doctoral dissertation, I came to find out some statistics that essentially said that this generation, talking about millennial generation, these are all the folks born from the 80s on up, that this generation has produced more geniuses than any other generation in Earth's history, but simultaneously has produced more emotionally unstable people than any other generation. Why? Because although they're gifted and smart, they are hurting. And we're perpetuating the, the foolishness. The conversation has got to change, man. We were over at the Wade Park the other day, and one of the girls was graduating. She had, I don't know how, I can't remember, but I know she repeated eighth grade a couple of times or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And all year, we just watched her cry. And every, almost in every time, she was crying about something. 
And the main issue she had is her mother left her, and her grandmother's taking care of her, but her grandmother didn't want to. And so the hate and venom from grandma and the absence of mama, and listen, what I'm telling you, this is not an exception. This is the norm. The norm. Family foolishness, incest, whatever you can think of, abuse. They're saying one in four kids. Brothers and sisters, it's more than one in four kids. If I asked y'all to raise y'all hands, if you had the courage, to say how many of you were sexually abused, emotionally abused, or just abused, everybody's hand would go up. This little girl, when she graduated, beautiful graduation, and they were asked to give a flower to somebody that has been a parent, or your parents, give a flower to, to one of the parents. She gets up, takes the flower over to Monty. Raise your hand, Monty. Mon Listen, first of all, Monty spends, how many, how many, do we spend maybe, maybe 15 minutes with her once a week? I don't know, were her, were her parents there? I don't know. I'm not sure, I don't even know if they were there. They weren't. Her parents didn't come to her graduation. And then you'll see, and you'll see a person like that come in, and they, they, they jewelry it up, you know, they got something real tight on, and then you just go in. Oh, Lord. <laughs> they come in the Lord out there. <sighs> Do you know what it took to get her here? Do you know what it took to get somebody like that in these doors? And then for you not even to speak to them because you are looking at what they have on. For you not to acknowledge that they are not invisible and hug them. For, I mean, I mean, how? I was preaching in Washington, D.C. A guy comes in, alcohol all over his body. And the folks were whispering and talking about, he knows better. Why he coming in here like that? He coming in here because the Holy Ghost brought him in. So, and, and how can you stop the Holy Ghost when he brings somebody in? One of the things we've been saying is we want to build a culture in this church of hospitality and kindness. You know why churches have welcomes? Like, stand up and greet everybody. Yeah. You know where we do that? Because we're naturally not nice, so we have to program it. <laughs> Go and find five people to hug. Oh now, if, let's just say we took that out of the program, and we were just that way anyway. When you go to family reunion, do they tell you at family reunion? All right, this is the point in our family reunion, just before the grill cook-off and the chili, chili cook-off, that we're going to ask you to get up and hug your mamas and your daddies. Nobody does that. How silly is that? Why? Because they're family. And so, too, it should be the same with us. I want to remove welcome out of the service because it is an admission that we are not nice Amen. and that we have to program it. We have to tell people, get up and hug somebody. Yeah. But if we were naturally that way, we sh she should have to stand up in the beginning of the service and say, listen, y'all, sit down. You've been hugging and loving on each other too much. We're ready to start the service. But we're too busy trying to come in and get our blessing. We, can't, we ain't concerned about nobody else. Go ahead, let, let, me, let, me, let me show you. So the conversation has to change. What did I say, everybody? And, the, and listen, I'm telling you, the conversation is not going to change unless your heart is changed. And uh, listen here, and I'm saying this with grace because I needed a conversation change with my son. I told you that. My whole thing with my son is, you, you, you a wuss. And my wife is saying, he's 11. 
Now, none of y'all, y'all, y'all don't have no, y'all perfect parents. So, God bless, God bless y'all. Now, for, for those of us, you know, hey, listen, let me tell you what my uncle said to me. I, he, I said, what's the number one thing you learned from parenting? And he said, I wish I could do it all over again. <laughs> That's the number one principle I've learned from parenting. I wish I could have a do-over. So all of us have blind spots. This is not to condemn you. This is simply to say, I need to repent. I need to ask the Lord, show me some stuff. I need to ask the Lord, to put some love in my heart. The conversation has to change. And even Ellen White said the conversation has to change. Watch this. She says, there is not a point that needs to be dwelt upon more earnestly, repeated more frequently, or established more firmly in the minds of all than the impossibility of fallen man meriting anything by his own best good work. In other pause. Ellen White is saying, we focus in a whole lot of stuff. And I'm going to tell you exactly what she, what she was saying. This was after 1888, and all the focus was on the law, keeping the commandments, the Sabbath, prophecy. Ellen White says, too much focus on that. She says, what you spend little time on and what you need to spend the most time on is reminding people that there's nothing they can do to merit their salvation. That salvation is a free gift. That salvation is given because of God's great love and his kindness. Have another Daniel and Revelation seminar and don't miss in Jesus and see what happens. I'm like, I'm looking, I'm seriously, I'm coming up in this thing, and I'm, you know, I'm a preacher, I do evangelism, and I'm looking at the, the you know, the, the, they give you stock evangelistic meetings to run. And, and, you know, they give you all 27 doctrines, and there's one doctrine on the gospel. <laughs> you, preach one, you preach the gospel one night, but the rest of the nights you establish the truth. But it ain't truth if it ain't Jesus, and if there's no love and no grace inside of it. She says this, this is just, this should be the focus. Salvation is through what, y'all? Faith. Next, next, next one. Last one. Come on, come on now, Willie. The thought, now I love this. The thought that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. Can I tell you what that means? That means it is assigned to you. Like a name. It's declared. Did you get that? Imputed means you are declared righteous even though you're not. Mercy. Notice what she said. Ellen getting happy. She's saying, man, the thought that I'm not righteous, but I'm declared righteous. She says, she says, the thought that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us, not because of any merit on our part, but as a free gift from God. Hallelujah. Go to the next slide is a precious thought. <laughs> yeah. right. Ellen White is basically saying, Whoo, I'm, yeah, I'm getting happy. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting happy. This is overwhelming to me. That's a precious thought that I don't have to do anything to merit the love of Jesus Christ. She, now watch this. The enemy, I'm going to hop up over here with the, watch this. Now, oh, oh, oh. This, is, this, this has changed my ministry. This line right here. The enemy of God and man is not willing that this truth should be clearly presented. Stay right there. Satan doesn't mind if we preach all them doctrines, but we don't talk about the love and grace of God. Now watch this. It is his intention to get preachers like me and church people like you to, to lord over people with fire and brimstone, browbeating, turn or burn religion. I, and people say it all the time. Don't go, you know what people say? I got to get myself together. 
That is the prevailing. That's the second reason why people don't go to church. First reason is they think we're hypocrites. Second reason is all research. Second reason is, is they don't think they're good enough to come. But here's the thing. You, first of all, ain't nobody in here good enough. And so their mindset is, I got to get myself together before I come. And we reinforce that by telling them, dress like this, look like that, don't come drunk, don't come high. Don't come with your living girlfriend. But that is the opposite of the message of Christ. The message of Christ says, bring all your stuff, bring all your junk. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How are you going to change yourself unless you come to me? You cannot get yourself together. The only person that can get you together is me. I long for the day when the church, I don't, I, 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 I'm going to be misunderstood if I say that. Listen, seriously, like we are doing very well if there's prostitutes sitting in here and they feel comfortable. If they're drug addicts and drug dealers, if they come in our midst and feel comfortable, don't think we've compromised. Know that we finally become like Jesus. But right now, we still have a culture that says, if you're not on our level, you're not welcome. We don't say it with our mouths. We don't have to say it with our mouth. It's the way that we carry ourselves. That's why I'm going to preach in jeans, shorts. I don't care. I want them to know that the preacher ain't on that. That the preacher is not caught up in how they look and, and where they come from. I want them to know that there's love pulsating in my heart. And I'm not concerned with what they look like. I'm concerned if they know that they are loved. Now, the enemy knows that if we talk about the love of Jesus, this will happen. Watch the next line. For he knows that if people receive it fully, his power will be broken. You know why people are in bondage? Because religion has made them that way. You know what's going to set them free? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Knowing that there's nothing you can do to save yourself. But Jesus will receive you just as you are. And his grace and his mercy will cover you in your wrong. And cover you in your foolishness. And cover you demon possessed. And cover you gay. And cover you on drug. I said cover you transgender. Cover you angry. Cover you the murderer. Cover you. They got to know that. He's scared that if they hear the gospel, his power is going to be broken. He's not scared about the Sabbath if it's not preached in the context of righteousness by faith. But when you tell folk the Sabbath is a weekly celebration that Adam and Eve were created on the day that they rested. You didn't hear me. They didn't work for the Sabbath. God gave them a rest before they did something. That's the message of Sabbath, that God wants you to rest in what he's done, not in what you got to do. Tell him that. Come and join me on Saturday. Why? What y'all doing? We're celebrating that we don't got to work. What you mean you don't got to work? I don't got to work for my salvation. I don't got to earn holiness. I don't gotta, I, I'm covered in Jesus. I'm declared. I'm imputed righteousness. That's why I celebrate Sabbath. Some of y'all celebrate because y'all don't want to receive the mark of the beast. I celebrate because it's a weekly remind. I need it. I need a reminder. And, and, and we're always tempted to do too much. Yeah. And that's a reminder that you're always tempted to do too much in terms of your relationship with God. Jesus said, rest in me. <laughs> Say, rest. Go ahead, brother. I'll keep preaching. You know, I'm, this, is my, this is where I am. I mean, just rest. Chill. I got you. 
There's got to be a turning of our hearts. And when our hearts are turned, a whole generation will say, there's got to be a God. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. It's time for Elijah 3.0. Not the first Elijah. Not John the Baptist. But a generation of Adventists who lean on the gospel. Who lean on Christ. Who lean on love. Who lean on grace. Who lean on mercy. Who lean on compassion. Who love people. Who love the broken. Who love the hard-hearted. Who love the young. Who love the old. Folks have been so touched by the love of Jesus that they just want to love on folk and bless folk and encourage folk and give folk hope. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to deliver this word today. I pray that somebody heard it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.